Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. While we're taking a, a thorough look through this decision and move, we will move forward cautiously, we are pleased that today's Supreme Court decision was upheld in our favour. Upholding the polluter pay pro- principle is good news for Albertans and it's good news for Canadians. All right, that's Alberta's Energy Minister reacting to a very significant decision today from Canada's Supreme Court regarding abandoned wells, or orphan wells, as they're referred to, and who's responsible for cleaning them up if and when a company goes bankrupt. Now, lower courts had ruled that, in fact, bankruptcy law had paramountcy over provincial environmental law and responsibilities. And this uh, whole case stemmed from uh, a company, Redwater Energy, which went bankrupt in 2015 and a fight over who was responsible for cleaning up these old gas wells. So, the Supreme Court laying down the marker here was a 5-2 ruling, though. But still, the ruling is that energy companies can't simply walk away from these, comp- uh, from, from these old wells. So that, that is indeed significant. What are the implications of this? How significant is it? Joining us for some thoughts, uh, this is Jody McNeil, a technical and policy analyst with the Pembina Institute. Jody, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, your thoughts on how significant this is? Uh, yeah. So, um, essentially, uh, the the decision is reassuring, and it reinforces the uh, polluter pays principle. Um, but we aren't out of the woods yet. Uh, so the decision does not alleviate the broader systemic challenges that are posed to regulators and to the public when extractive companies go bankrupt. Um, essentially, the decision has confirmed that regulators are first in line to access what's left of a, of a bankrupt company's assets, and that's definitely a good thing. Uh, but unfortunately, in most cases, there really isn't much left when a company goes under. Uh, so the question remains, what happens when there's nothing left in the bank account? Uh, who will pay for cleanup then? And in those cases, unfortunately, taxpayers are still exposed to the risk of being left on the hook. Right. Well, and that's an important point. I suppose if, if companies have considerable resources, they might not be going bankrupt in the first place. Um, exactly. Yeah. So ideally, then, I guess once a company goes under, its assets are, are sold off or divvied up, that there would be something left over to cover the cost of this. But is it usually the case that there, there simply isn't enough left over? Usually that is the case, yes, uh, that what assets are left over are not enough to cover up the, the costs for cleanup. And you really don't have to look far for examples that already exist uh, where Canadian taxpayers have been left behind with cleanup costs with or without red water. So taxpayers are already paying billions to clean up former operations such as the Faro Mine in the Yukon, the Giant Mine in the Northwest Territories, as well as numerous mines in British Columbia. Uh, and there are especially big challenges posed in Alberta, uh, which has an especially high, heavy load of oil and gas liabilities. Um, over the last 50 years, Alberta's cleanup obligations have been steadily growing, and they now include over 80,000 inactive uh, oil and gas wells, facilities, and pipelines, as well as over 1.4 uh, trillion litres in fluid t- uh, oil sands tailings. So that's enough oil sands tailings to fill 500,000 Olympic size swimming pools um, and the, the scale of that is really just unprecedented. Um, so the, the government of Alberta estimates total costs to clean all of uh, all of that up around $60 billion. 
Um, notably, there's been a variety of experts that have challenged that figure as too small um, based on systemic flaws in data collection. Uh, but whether it's $60 billion or more, uh, less than $1.2 billion is currently held in securities to protect the public from those oil and gas liabilities. So even with the Redwater decision having having been uh, a positive uh, outcome and having uh, not exacerbated this problem, uh, the, the underlying issue really still exists and still needs to be addressed. Right. I mean, the C.D. Howe Institute in uh, 2017 put out a study suggesting the, the cleanup costs were somewhere in the range of $8 billion. Right. So the C.D. Howe Institute, uh, they looked specifically at, um, at those uh, those sites that are at very high risk. Uh, so basically they included um, uh, sites, inactive sites that are held by companies that are already insolvent and also did some stress testing for other companies that are close to insolvency. So those are just kind of more the highest risk sites. When I say $60 billion uh, or more, depending on the figure that you're looking at, I'm talking about every liability in the entire province that includes active operations. So certainly the chances of a $60 billion bill coming down on the taxpayers tomorrow is very unlikely because the whole industry would need to vaporize overnight. However, the, the risk stands that most of that is not secured, and it's more of a long-term risk and the concerns about some portion of those uh, cleanup liabilities ultimately falling on taxpayers' shoulders. Right, because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but in, inactive doesn't necessarily mean end of life, doesn't necessarily mean there's a need for remediation. Are, are there cases where companies declare bankruptcy, but that these wells can be taken over by a different company and, and continue to operate? It's extremely rare that inactive sites are actually brought back to life. Um, there was a study done um, by the University of Calgary, and I don't remember the exact figure, but it's, uh, you know, it's a very low percentage, like at least less than 5% of the time. Uh, I think it was much lower than that, actually, when inactive sites are actually uh, become economically viable down the road. Uh, and it's just important to note that Alberta really is uh, unique in the in this aspect. Uh, it has never had regulated timelines for when inactive sites need to be um, plugged up and decommissioned and reclaimed. And that is unlike virtually every other jurisdiction in North America. Um, so uh, it is rare that those uh, sites would be brought back to life and other jurisdictions are um, seemingly more aware of that than we are in Alberta. So how does Alberta get ahead of this, in your view? So there's tools available to reduce the risks that taxpayers and communities are exposed to. Um, this, there's a variety of different options, um, things like introducing regulated timelines, um, as well as ideas like financial assurance mechanisms, which basically just require companies to commit funds against liabilities. Um, and there's a bunch of different mechanisms you can use to do that, from bonds to insurance um, and, and others as well. However, uh, you know, there's the trick in Alberta is that because this is a legacy problem and because the, the backlog of sites is so big, you really need to uh, be careful when you're um, trying to tackle this problem that you're being effective, but you're not uh, just going to push a bunch of companies into insolvency and basically cause a crisis tomorrow instead of 10 or 20 years from now. So there's a balance that needs to be struck, and it re it's going to require collaboration and creativity um, with industry and with landowners and communities. Um, but before we can do any of that, step one, we need to get accurate data on the scale and scope of the problem itself. 
for decades, the Alberta government has really neglected its obligation to collect and release precise information on liabilities. And so when I mentioned before the concerns around that $60 billion figure, that's really the crux of this issue. Um, there's a lack of transparency and there's a lot of systemic flaws in the current data collection system. And it makes it really hard for everybody to get on the same page and start talking about how we're going to tackle this problem until we actually have, uh, until we actually have access to, to that information, which, uh, ultimately the, the public, the industry, investors, stakeholders, everyone should have access to that information. So, so that really needs to be step one. And I really think that Albertans, Albertans need to demand of all political parties uh, in the province that they need to make commitments on how they're going to address that and how they're going to actually, um, you know, uh, take the wool over everyone's eyes and, uh, and let the truth be known about, about the problem itself. Now, we have in Alberta uh, an Orphan Well Association. It's funded by both the energy industry and, and the province. So what, what is their role in, in all of this then? Sure, yeah. So uh, so the Orphan Well Association is funded by industry. Uh, levies are, uh, the, the industry pays levies into this fund. Um, recently, uh, in, in uh, a year or so ago, um, the, or maybe two years ago now, the Alberta government gave a $230 million loan uh, to the Orphan Well Association, a 10-year loan, and the federal government paid the $30 million interest on that loan. And the purpose of that was basically the Orphan Well Fund since 2014 had its inventory uh, just dramatically expand by a factor of like 2,000%. Um, and so uh, you had this uh, really rapid expansion of the amount of orphan well properties, and basically the industry is just struggling to keep up. Um, but what I would really emphasize is that there's a lot of attention on orphan sites, and certainly it's a major problem. Um, and for us, we kind of, in, we, we visualize the liability issues in Alberta as a kind of iceberg. And so orphan wells are the tip of that iceberg. They're the part that everybody can see as a problem, and it's kind of what we're all focused on. But underneath that iceberg is uh, this much larger inventory of inactive sites. And a lot of those inactive sites are currently uh, held by companies that are either insolvent already or close to insolvency. And so there's this broader risk about how we're going to manage that problem um, because ultimately the Orphan Well Association, as we've seen since 2014, really can't handle much more of an influx of more and more properties into its inventory. So, so basically, how are we going to manage against the risk that, that, uh, that this problem could get worse and that those inactive sites underneath the iceberg could kind of rise to the surface in coming years. Yeah, yeah well, we're going to have to face it for sure. Pembina.org is the website. Jody, thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Uh, Jody McNeil, uh, technical and policy analyst with the Pembina Institute, Pembina.org, their reaction to this today, uh, saying this is still something that, that the Alberta government needs to confront. All right, 974-TALK is our number, 974-8255. We are back with more right after this. Welcome back, 974-8255. Now, here's some, some different thoughts on all of this. Uh, someone called to attention uh, this uh, tweet thread from uh, Roger Baker, who's a litigation and insolvency lawyer. And he says, this will be a disaster in energy lending and investment. The net effect of this decision puts banks and other energy lenders being on the hook for liabilities they didn't agree to, uh, didn't agree to accept when originating a loan. 
The energy business requires immense capital to function. Lenders will shudder at the thought of every single loan they've written to an energy company being knocked down one level of priority. The chilling effect will go beyond lenders and quickly affect equity investors. Energy development projects make little economic sense without some measure of low-cost debt. Reducing access to debt capital, greatly increasing its cost, will cascade through the energy industry, and the effects will be chilling. So someone asked about, you know, how do we attack this problem if we don't get money from the bankrupt owner? But as he pointed out, and even as our guest pointed out, the bankrupt owner doesn't have any money. That's why they're bankrupt. This decision puts the risk onto banks, as opposed to the industry at large, which funds the Orphan Well Association. So does it make more sense to do it that way, to have uh, some kind of industry levy that goes into a fund as opposed to a company goes bankrupt, they're responsible, they don't have any money, now all of a sudden the banks are on the hooks? Now, what are the banks going to do then in order to protect themselves against that risk? I think that's a very interesting question. So there's a different take on all of that. All right, 974-8255, you want to weigh in on this? Uh, This one from Doug says, current laws should be changed immediately to stop the problem going forward. All producers should pay into an orphan well fund. Cleanup should start on the worst sites and proceed from there. A whole new industry and remediation and the employment would be great. The government could put a little seed money in it to get it started. Right, and so maybe, you know, there are some opportunities there in that sense. In in having some kind of mechanism in place to begin addressing this because you need people to do it. Uh, another one here says, I'm pretty sure the $60 billion is not a discounted value, but the cost of the liabilities over time and probably most of the tail end, since these are long-tail liabilities we're talking about. Uh, let's see here. This one says 90,000 wells to clean up, even at 5,000 each, that's $450 million to clean up. This is not a taxpayer problem. This is an industry problem created by a negligent former PC government. Not saying the NDP has it right yet, but I think oil companies need to be held more accountable for cleaning up their mess. This is our oil, not theirs, and they're leaving farmers with potential problems. There needs to be a cap on how long uh, I will consider it. I'm producing before uh, the company is mandated they'll have to clean it up. Right, and you know, one aspect of this case, of course, was landowners saying, look, if this is on our land, why are we responsible for cleaning it up? Uh, landowner property rights uh, advocate, uh, property rights lawyer Keith Wilson was on with Danielle this morning. He says the court made the right decision. The dilemma before the, all of the courts was whether or not the longstanding principle of polluter pay was going to continue to be the law of Canada or whether or not um, it was walk away. It was polluter pay or walk away. And says it's not fair to saddle farmers and landowners with these costs. Alberta law allows an oil company to force its way onto a farmer's land. A farmer, a farmer can't stop them. And the deal was that if you, if that company comes on and they make a mess, that you'll be compensated. And at the end of the day, the company will be required to clean it up. All right. Let's get back to the phones here. 974-8255. Nick, welcome to the program. Yeah, the Land Reclamation Act in Alberta covers this very, very adequately. You cannot uh, just abandon a site without an inspector coming out and and uh, signing off on it. So, uh, and the other point is the uh, lady that says that uh, there's fifty thousand unreclaimed uh, pits. That that is an exaggerated number that only the Pemina Institute could come up with. 
Yeah, well, and, you know, as, as she even said, I guess, you know, there's a difference between what we consider orphan wells and, and wells that are inactive or close to being inactive. And she's kind of lumping all of that together by the sound well, of she's, it. She's lumping in t- uh, the, uh, the pits that you use for uh, mining. They're, they're called uh, reclamation pits. And she says there's 50,000 swimming pools equivalent that have not been reclaimed. All right. Yeah. Uh, fair enough, Nick. Appreciate the call. 974-8255. We'll take a quick break here. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.